We are going to embark on several weeks journey talking about one, one beatitude. Uh, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I think that we'll see that there is a whole world of meaning and significance and relevance in that one verse, Matthew 5, 5. Um, and, and I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, in both parts of that verse, both in the life to which it calls us and the life that we look forward to. Um, the word meekness, I, I know that we've all talked about meekness probably our whole lives, and we've probably heard all kinds of definitions of meekness. I one time heard a preacher say that meekness was being committed to a cause bigger than yourself. I don't know where he got that definition of meekness. I don't know that that fits the biblical definition. Uh, The definition I've heard most of the time isn't really a definition at all. It's the negation of an idea that we say often meekness doesn't mean weakness, right? You've heard that too. Meekness doesn't mean weakness or meek doesn't mean weak. Uh, But that's that's not really a definition, is it? You can't define something just based on what it's not. I mean, it might be true that meekness isn't weakness. Okay, well, you know, orange isn't blue, but that doesn't tell me what orange is, right? I want to know what the definition of meekness is, and it's not enough to say it's not this thing, right? So, yes, that's true. Meekness isn't weakness. There's some truth to that, I suppose. What is meekness? I've heard ideas like, well, it's humility, or it's gentleness, or it's power under control. And again, there's truth to all of that, I suppose. But the best way for us to understand what Jesus means in Matthew 5.5 is to actually look at the passage that Jesus was quoting. So Jesus was actually quoting Psalm 37. That's what we're going to look at tonight. So you got your Bible, we'll be in Psalm 37. But before we get there, let's think about, just real broadly, uh, poetry and songs what's what's the purpose of songs i'm gonna i want to be a little bit more interactive than we typically are on wednesday it's been a while so you know if if this doesn't work you can just blame it on the fact that i haven't taught a wednesday night class over the summer so throw out some things what what uh why do we sing songs any songs what what's why do we sing Praise, okay, yeah, praise, to to tell God something, right? Tell God thank you or tell God that he's awesome and he's wonderful. So praise is one one way, one reason we sing. Teach, yes, absolutely, to teach. I was thinking about the alphabet song. You know, I mean, like even just basic things like that, right? We use, we use songs to teach. I'm sure at the preschool they use all kinds of songs to teach the kids things, but not just elementary type things we still use songs even as adults to learn ideas right anything else you can think of exhort Exhort. i heard exhort what else express your feelings yeah if anyone is happy let them sing james says edify yeah absolutely to build to build up and i think sort of you take all of those things and package it together and you might say that songs are are transformative aren't they Songs transform us, and we know that, right? And when that's the reason we start very young singing, right? Because we learn things, so there's an educational element to it. There's also, like, it makes you feel better, and you can express your feelings, positive and negative, through songs. Um, but, it, but it transforms how you think. Even praise transforms how you think, doesn't it? It takes 
Praising God takes your focus off of maybe what's going on in your life and maybe the pain and things that are going on in your life and it lifts and elevates your vision and your focus to things that are above and so there's a lot of power in singing songs. And and when we think about the Psalms, I think one of the most important things when we read any Psalm is to ask ourselves as we read through it, why? Why was this a part of Israel's hymn book, right? Because that's what the Psalms were, right? They're not just chapters in a book, but they're, they're actually hymns. They're songs and poems. The song we're going to look at, the psalm we're going to look at tonight was an acrostic, right? So they used one letter of the Hebrew alphabet for each line, and so it was like that. And we use maybe acrostics today to help us learn and remember and so that we see the poetry and the, the structure of it. And so anytime we read a psalm, we, we should ask ourselves, why, why did they believe, why did God believe that this, this particular psalm, this song, this poem needed to be included in Israel's hymn book? What is it that they would be going through on a regular basis that songs like this would help to transform them so that they were thinking the right way? right? Songs help to change our worldview, right? We sing songs to help us to change what we think about, how we feel about those things, what we know about certain things. And so when we read through a psalm, we should ask ourselves, why is this significant? Why was it significant to Israel? And then why, why do we continue to read and study and Hopefully even sing, that's what Paul said, right? Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And and we continue to sing psalms like this. I wish we, you know, sang every psalm, but some of them we don't even, like lamentations and even the one we're going to read tonight. We don't have a lot of songs nowadays that are laments, but even that's important, isn't it? To say, God, I'm, I'm angry and I'm upset and I don't understand why this is going on and And I need deliverance and I need salvation. So it's important to ask questions like that as we read through a psalm. So the the psalm begins in verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. And that word fret there, the word is, is literally like get hot, right? Burn up. Right? And that's a good metaphor in Hebrew or in English, right? You know, that's how you feel, isn't it? When you're upset, when you're fretting, and I think about fretting, I think about my boys, you know, and they're just not just, not just worried. When I think fret, I automatically think worry, and that's part of it, I think, but it's more than that. Have you ever been just so just frustrated and upset and just this isn't, this isn't right that you're angry. So fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now why, why would we fret about evildoers? Somebody throw something out. Why, why would we fret? What about evildoers or wrongdoers would make us fret. Maybe they're doing evil to us, right? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we're the victims of their evil and their wrongdoing. Yes, because you can't do anything about it sometimes, and you're frustrated because it just seems to be that, that it's not stopping. And, and because it, it looks like sometimes that they're winning, doesn't it? I mean, we, we have cliches all the time like, crime doesn't pay. But then we think, well, 
maybe it kind of does, right? And it's really easy to get frustrated and say, that's not fair. I play by the rules and I do what's right. And we're doing the good stuff and they're doing the bad stuff and it seems like they're winning. And that's not just now. I mean, think about, think about history. Don't you know that there have been so many times where good, honest, hardworking, godly people have looked around and said, this isn't fair. The bad guys are winning and the good guys are getting stomped all over. And it says, be not envious of wrongdoers. We, we still do that, don't we? I mean, think about the movies and the TV shows sometimes that we watch that sort of glamorize crime, right? And we watch that. I mean, and we, that's not a new thing. I mean, you think about Bonnie and Clyde or, you know, any of the, the old, you know, dime store novels, and, you know, things like that. Why is it that we sometimes glamorize life of crime? And we look at it and we say, man, be nice. Do whatever you want to do. You don't listen to anybody. You just go where you want to go. Shoot who you want to shoot. Take what you want to take. Just do whatever you want to do and never seem to get caught and everything works out for you. I play by the rules and nothing seems to go my way. I play by the rules and I never have anything. Some people, they just seem to take whatever they want and, and they seem to be doing just fine. It's a, a natural way of feeling sometimes, isn't it? And we look at the world and we say, man, the mean people, the cruel people, the people that don't care, the people that throw caution to the wind, the people that are rough and tough, they're the people that get everything in the end. And the people like me that are good and, you know, we're soft and we get pushed over. It's, it's easy to think that way. Don't you know that psalms like this are, are incredibly important to be in Israel's songbook? Because this is a common way of thinking. And so the psalmist says, don't, don't do that. Don't fret about evildoers and don't be envious of wrongdoers. Why? Because they're, they will soon fade like grass and wither like green herb. Their time is short. It's limited. It will come to an end. I know it doesn't look like it right now. I know it doesn't feel like it right now. Like John said, especially when you're not just a spectator, but when you're the victim of their wrongdoing. And you think this will never end. They will never stop. I will continue to be stomped on and they will continue to win. And the psalmist says, even though it feels that way sometimes, it's not true. It's not true. And from the time you're a child to the time that you're an adult, into your old age, you need to sing this song. It's not true. The wrongdoer and the evildoer, they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Verse three. So here's what we do. Here's what God's people are called to do. Trust in the Lord and do what? Good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. The NIV says, and enjoy safe pasture. Here's what you do. In those moments where you say, this isn't fair, and how come they've got all the stuff, and how come it seems to work out for them, and how come they push people around, and nobody ever seems to stop them, and I'm here doing, getting nothing, even though I follow the rules, the psalmist says, trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I mean, it's easy to take that out of context, and I've seen us, 
I've seen people, Christians, take this out of context all the time, right? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And what we mean by that, or what we think that means, is that like immediately that's going to happen, right? But the whole psalm is about the fact that that's not always the case immediately, right now. But the psalmist has in mind the long game, right? The long game. That you need to have in mind what's going to happen eventually. What's going to be ultimately true. So you need to realize that even though in the moment it seems like the bad guys are winning and that they, they will always win, it's not true. And that they'll wither and they'll fade. But you, trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, again, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will what? Act. He will act. Remember we said a minute ago, sometimes it feels like you can't do anything. And sometimes that's true, isn't it? You know, sometimes, and this is kind of a side thing, but and I think we're going to see this as we go throughout this series uh, the next couple of weeks, but sometimes when we read a Bible story, like let's say David and Goliath, for instance, right? So when you read David and Goliath and you think, Hey, be a David, right? Be a David. Step up, take action, go out and slay the giant, right? You know, get some stones and go slay the giant. Or we think about Esther and we think for such a time as this, right? For such a time as this, God put you in this place so you can take action. Well, I mean, that's all great, right? And, and we're, I mean, we like to be John Wayne, right? I mean, we like to get on the horse and ride into action and do something. But you think about these Bible stories from the perspective of the Average, ordinary Israelite in that story. The average, ordinary Israelite in the story of David and Goliath needed a savior. They needed someone to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. Or you think about the story of Esther. Mordecai wasn't in a position to do what Esther was able to do. In fact, Mordecai was telling her, listen, God will raise up somebody if you don't do this. But the ordinary average Israelite in the story of Esther wasn't able to do anything except this. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Sometimes in our life, there's something we can do. A lot of times, there's something we can do, right? There's always something we can do, even if that something is this. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him. And he will act. Sometimes there's not a steed you can jump on and ride into action. Sometimes you're not David in the story. Sometimes you're not Esther in the story. And I know that's not like what we like to hear. We like to hear you're always the hero of the story. But the truth is God is always the hero of the story. And there's sometimes in your life where you might feel helpless. And, and really your help is not in you. But your help is him. And that's what this psalm is all about, isn't it? Because, again, we live in a culture that is very individually empowering, right? You've got the power. You go do it. You do all of these things. But if you were in a war-torn country or you had, you know, hordes of people that were attacking your city, there might not be a whole lot that you personally, individually can do. But you can always do this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will act. He will bring forth he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Because sometimes, sometimes people are accusing you of being unjust and being unrighteous 
People are saying all kinds of horrible things about you. I think about Job. When I read this passage, I think about Job. All through this psalm, you think about somebody like Job. What had Job done wrong when all that bad stuff happened to him? Nothing. And what could he do to clear his name? Nothing. Nobody would believe him. All of his friends came around and said, Job, we like you. You're a really good guy, but you obviously did something wrong. And if you want all this to go away, you got to repent of whatever horrible sin you did. And Job was like, I didn't do anything wrong. And sometimes, sometimes we're in those types of situations. And the psalmist says that God will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. He will vindicate you. He will vindicate you. In those moments where you're falsely accused, have you ever been falsely accused of something? Somebody believes something about you that's just not true and you try and you try and you try to clear your name and say, I didn't do that, that wasn't me, you're wrong, you're, mis- you're, you're misunderstanding, you're, you're judging me, whatever, and you just can't seem to do it. The psalmist says there's times where you just have to trust God. Commit your way to the Lord. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. He will vindicate you. And in the end, you answer to him. In the end, you answer to him. And it's not what the accuser says about you. And it's not what people think about you. It's what God says about you. And and if you're committing your way to the Lord, trusting in him, doing what's right, then he will vindicate you. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's really super hard sometimes, isn't it? To just wait and be patient and let God act. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices, even when you're the victim of those evil devices. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Here's the key, right? Here's the key. Why? Why don't get angry? Why don't fret? Why is the psalmist saying? Because that's the natural reaction, isn't it? When bad things are happening to you and it's not fair, when people are saying things about you and they're wrong, it's, it's natural to be mad and angry and upset and just boiling inside. But why does the psalmist counsel the people in song, don't do this? Don't go down that path of anger and wrath and fret. Why? Because it tends only to what? Evil. What do we tend to do when we get angry about bad people? We tend to do bad stuff too, don't we? And we fight evil with evil. Have you ever been in that situation? I know I have a million times. Somebody does something wrong and then I get mad about it and then I do something wrong too. Now who's right? And isn't that, the, isn't that the exact situation the world finds itself in? That we, we try to, we even have a saying for it, fight fire with fire. What we're saying is give to them whatever they give to you. They punch you, you punch them. They kick you, you kick them. And the psalmist says, listen, I know, I know how you feel, but forsake wrath. 
refrain from anger. Fret not yourself because it tends only to evil. This path that you're on of anger and wrath and fret, this it's going to boil over. And then you're going to be as guilty as they are. And what's going to happen when God does show up and God does act and God judges the wicked and God takes care of the evil and you've joined in with the evil because you were sick of the evil being done to you? You're going to get swept up in the judgment, aren't you? As opposed to the one who refrains. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And I mean, again, this is, this is all about faith. You see that meekness and faith go hand in hand. You cannot be meek without faith. Faith, is, faith says, in spite of what's happening right now, in spite of how things feel right now, in spite of what's going on right now, in spite of what my eyes see and my ears hear and my hands touch and my nose smells, in spite of all of these things, I believe that God will show up and God will deliver his people, right? And sometimes that feels like a pipe dream. We have something... Of course, Israel always had, had stories on which to anchor their hope, didn't they? And they could look back and they say, look what God did for the people of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt. Look, Egypt, I mean, Egypt just pounded them for hundreds of years. They were slaves and God brought our people out. See, God shows up. God takes action. God delivers his people. And they could anchor their hope in those kinds of stories. But we have something even more ultimate than that, don't we? The resurrection of Jesus that says, trust him, trust him, because even death can't hold those that God has anointed and chosen and loves and those that are faithful to him. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. I know it never feels like that in the moment. Whether we're talking about a world empire like Egypt or Assyria or Babylon or Greece or Rome, or we're talking about just the ordinary, everyday problems that you deal with and I deal with, it never feels like this won't be this way for long. That's why songs like this are so important. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. This drives it into the heart and it drives it into the mind. So we say, this is the way I'm going to live. This is the way I'm going to choose to live. I'm going to choose to live my life believing that it won't be like this forever. I'm going to choose to live my life believing that God will deliver his people. I'm going to choose to live my life believing that if I trust in the Lord and commit my ways to him and do what is good and wait patiently for him, that eventually God will show up. You say, yeah, but what happens if you die before then? (laughs) Ultimately, that's exactly what's going to happen, but God will raise us from the dead, right? The resurrection has already begun in Jesus. And so we choose to believe it won't always be this way and the wicked will not be here much longer. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land 
and delight themselves in abundant shalom, peace. Not just peace like there's no war, but peace like having everything that you need. Fully content and fully satisfied. All is well. All is well. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So again, we're going to explore that word meek as we go throughout the next few weeks. But, but even here, we can already begin to see sort of the definition and the idea taking shape, can't we? Who are the meek? They're the ones who wait patiently for the Lord to deal with the wicked. They're the ones who wait patiently for the Lord to act. They're the ones who choose not to fret who choose not to take the way of wrath and anger, who choose not to take evil into their own hands and do to others what has already been done to them or do to others before it's done to them. They choose to wait patiently for the Lord. Verse 12, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. And there's a whole, it's a whole shift in mindset, isn't it? To say, the wicked, they're plotting against us. They're gnashing their teeth. They're angry. They hate us. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when people revile you and hate you and speak all kinds of evil against you on my account. Right? And the psalmist says the same thing. The wicked, they plot and they gnash their teeth, but the Lord does what? He laughs. He laughs. You ever, like when you were, maybe you were, maybe it was done to you, or maybe, you know, you were the one doing it to somebody else, but if there's a little kid, you know, and a bigger kid, and the little kid's trying to hit the bigger kid, you know, what does the big kid have to do? Just, like, you know, you do that, put your head, hand on their forehead, you know, and just kind of hold them off. And it's just kind of funny, right? As they're just kind of swinging their fist and they're trying to hit and they're just trying, but they can't do anything because it's just, you know, oh, that's so cute. You know, you just, you just go on, just wear yourself out. And for God, it's that way, right? I mean, who do you think you are? You, you think you're big and tough and you're going to do something, but you're not. Your time is... It's short and it's coming to an end. But we have to practice and be intentional about having this type of mindset. How do you have joy? How do you consider, blessed am I when I'm persecuted? How could you, how could you think that way? How would you feel, I'm blessed am I? I'm choosing to believe that I'm in a blessed state even when and even because I am persecuted. How? Because you have a big picture mindset. You have a faith mindset that sees his day is coming. God knows. God sees the big picture. He sees that no matter how the wicked rage and how they gnash their teeth and how they plot against the the righteous, in the end, that's not how it's going to work out. In the end, God wins and the wicked lose. And we can know that as well, can't we? I don't know about you, but every time, every time I hear about another shooting, and this last one in Midland, Odessa, I mean, Holly grew up in Midland, and and I was a youth minister in Midland, and we got lots of friends there, and I mean, it just, ah, just makes me so mad. 
And I just, it just feels like, when is this going to stop? But God sees the big picture. And he knows it's not going to be like this forever. And they are not going to win. Evil will not win. The wicked will not win. They lose. And we can know that. That doesn't mean that we don't be sad. And it doesn't mean that we don't feel frustrated. And we don't say, Lord, come quickly. But it means that we know in our heart of heart, in our mind of minds, we win. God wins. God's people win. Verse 14. The wicked draw draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken see the wicked believe that they're destroying other people but in reality they're destroying themselves that's what evil does evil cannot destroy the righteous evil destroys those who practice it That's why we cannot fight fire with fire. We cannot fight rage with rage. We cannot fight these things with evil. Because evil destroys those who practice it. Right? The wicked pierce their own heart. Their bows are broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage, listen to this, their heritage will remain forever. What is heritage? Some translations say inheritance. Don't don't worry. There's nothing, there's nothing they can do. No matter what they say about you, no matter how angry they are at you, no matter how much of a hard time they give you, They cannot take your inheritance from you. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans chapter 8? Neither height nor depth nor angels or principalities or rulers or demons. Nothing in all of creation so separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. No matter what they do, they can't take our inheritance from us. Evil and wicked cannot defeat righteous. They cannot defeat God's people. And your inheritance remains forever. They are not put to shame in, they are not, the the righteous, the blameless, are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. And that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? A pasture, you know, you walk out and, and you're like, wow, it's just, it's so green and it's just flourishing And it just, I mean, in the moment, you think this is the most beautiful pasture I've ever seen in my life. It's glorious, he says, right? It's glorious. But what's going to happen come fall? It's all dry and it's dead and it's gone. Smoke can seem so thick and so there and so present, but in a moment, it's gone. And the wicked are the same way. Verse 21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. 
I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I've seen, the psalmist says, I've seen a wicked and ruthless man spreading himself like a garden laurel tree or flourishing like a tree that's in its native soil, some translations say. But he passed away and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. And that could be said of a lot of wicked, evil men, right? I mean, you could just think back in history and think about some of the horrible, horrible dictators and wicked rulers that did all kinds of atrocious things. And you think their empire and their legacy is going to last forever. No, it won't. No, it won't. People will soon hate them and they'll soon be dead and nobody will follow them anymore. And ultimately, that's true of all of the wicked. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous. Now, again, salvation means deliverance. It means rescuing. This is something that the Lord does. And there are times when we just have to wait. It's not to say that there's not good we can do while we wait. It's not, it's not just that we're just being passive. There's nothing about meekness that's passive. It's not passive to say, I choose to believe it won't always be this way. I choose to believe God will deliver the righteous and that salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. That, that's meekness. Take refuge in the Lord. Choose faith. Choose trust. Choose confidence. Committing your way to the Lord. So again, we're going to talk about different dimensions and ideas that revolve around meekness, but here's how we might say and sum up tonight's lesson. Meekness is about patiently enduring the present in light of the future. Sometimes, sometimes, what we're doing is enduring. Enduring. We're holding on. We're trusting. We're putting our confidence in God. And there's nothing passive in that. That doesn't mean that we're a punching bag or a doormat. 
but it does mean that we let go of anger and we let go of wrath. We let go of bitterness. When our only two choices are anger or patience, meekness chooses patience. I will wait for the Lord. Whether that's in our marriage or in our jobs or on a national scale or on a global scale, whether that's in the big things or the little things in life, we choose to trust in the Lord and do good. Only the meek, only the meek, those who patiently endure the present in light of the future can feed their enemies when they're hungry or give their enemies something to drink when they're thirsty or love their spouse even when their spouse is unlovable or love their kids even when their kids are disrespectful, rebellious, or love their neighbor even when their neighbor despises them. Only those who wait patiently and endure the present in light of the future can live this life of discipleship. Let's pray before we close. Most Holy Father, Lord, I struggle to be meek. I struggle to wait patiently for you. Lord, I want to take things into my own hands sometimes. Put people in their place. Be angry and let my anger bubble over. And I pray, Father, that you help me to walk by the Spirit. That you help all of those of us that struggle with wrath and fretting and anger and bitterness. That you help us to refrain from those things. To choose joy. To choose peace to choose love, to love because you loved us, to love in the present in light of the future. Thank you, Father, for your son who teaches us so thoroughly how to do just that. It's in his name we pray, amen.